Welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature-centered paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Welcome to our show. My name is Deborah Rose, and I'm your host on Circle Talk. Circle Talk is one of the shows featured on CSNP, Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. CSNP has a lineup of rotating shows through each month. Mondays feature Lunatic Mondays with host Laura Gonzalez. It can't be Tuesday without Circle Talk, and I will continue to be the host for this fun discussion show on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Wednesdays features Circle of Nature with none other than Selena Fox. The second and fourth Friday of each month features Songs of the Pagan Tribe, hosted by Kern Greenman. Less talk, more pagan music, exploring the songs, people, and the wonderful, inspiring world of pagan music. The third Friday of each month features Blue Marble, an eco-educational, eco-restorational, and eco-spirituality podcast that features eco-activist adventure stories about climate impacts with climate solutions and how you can manifest good energy for our planet. Would you like to celebrate the full moons with your community? Well, come online as we celebrate the next full moon with Circle Sanctuary Community online. The theme is Bridget Blessings and takes place on Thursday, January 25th. Full moon circles begin at 7 p.m., which is 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Mountain, or 4 p.m. Pacific. Circle Sanctuary full moon circles include invocations, music, meditations, poetry, reflections, and ritual workings. They are facilitated by Circle Sanctuary ministers, Reverend Selena Fox and Reverend Judith Sizes, plus other members of the Circle Sanctuary community. Those joining online are invited to bring a candle to kindle during the ritual and are invited to interact with others in the chat on YouTube. Attendance is free and no registration is required. For more information, please go to circlesanctuary.org. Would you like to build a relationship with your ancestors and learn about the role that your ancestors can play in your daily life? I'm so excited about this new author. Tonight on Circle Talk, we're going to be talking with author Ben Stimson, who explores ancestral verk in his new books, Ancestral <laughs> Whispers. Um, ben is a therapist, lecturer, student, and spiritual director. He has developed courses on a variety of topics, the power of a story and folklore. When not working with clients or writing, Ben is engaged with his areas of study, religious studies, medieval and classical studies folklore and spirituality for more go to his website at www.bensimpson.com he's on facebook at ben simpson author youtube and instagram let's welcome ben to the circle talk thank you ben hello thank you so much it's so funny i start to sneeze right in the middle of my intro isn't that just so professional <laughs> anyway thank you so much I, I we shared earlier i got your book it's very very good did <laughs> You always know you were going to write a book or how did that process happen for you? Um, it's been a lifelong dream. Absolutely. I, um, I, I had a very uh, difficult start with education because I, I didn't have dyslexia, but I had dyspraxia. And so I had to do a lot of, um, of speech therapy when I was a kid. 
when I came over to Canada um, as a child, I was put into remedial. Um, they didn't quite know what to do with me. And uh, and so I, I always knew that I was really heavily connected with the book world. And I loved books. I did tons of work in, in a library when I was a teenager. Um, but um, but I, I, I never I never had the chance to sit down and have the time to sit down and write something. But I've always wanted to write. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, your book is excellent. And it is available now on Llewellyn.com and Amazon and Barnes and Noble. People can mm-hmm. get it right after the show, correct? Uh, yes, they can. Yes. Yeah. So it came out in September. Yeah. Congratulations. So ancestral uh, veneration, what what drew you to this topic? Absolutely. So it's um, I kind of fell into it in some ways. So uh, really, I, I outlined this all in the first um, introduction. People can go to the Llewellyn website and read that. Um, they do have a couple of chapters on there for free for people to preview. Um, but I, 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 I kind of was going through a midlife, kind of early midlife crisis back in the middle of the, uh, of the uh, 2010s. I had dropped out of university in 2010. I was kind of floundering about trying to figure out what do I want to do with my life? Like, how do I get forward with life, right? And in 2015, I fell in with a group up here in Canada. Um, it really jump-started my, my spirituality again. Eventually, that led to falling in with a Lukumi Ile, um, a, 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 a spiritual house up here in Canada, whose roots mm-hmm. are in, in, uh, in Michigan. And one of the big parts of, of Lukumi as a, an, a, an introductory piece is ancestor work. Now, ancestors have always been a big part of my life, whether I was conscious of it or not, mainly because I was taken away from my ancestors when I was a kid. Um, when I moved to Canada, I was completely uh, taken away from my homeland, from where my ancestors, well, my biological ancestors, I should say, are all resting. Um, and so I, I was connected to them mostly through story. And uh, and part of Lakumi is to connect with them as spiritual entities, spiritual beings, and and see them as a force in your life. And I went through some really incredible experiences during my time with that that group, including a year where so many people came back into my life, and uh, and I I had a huge year of, of of healing, and it was at least I ascribe it to my work with the ancestors. So in 2019, I had uh, finished studying psychotherapy. So I'm, I'm a, a trained therapist. Um, I operate out of Canada and the United Kingdom. And um, I was looking at things I could do. I came up, I finished in September 2019. I, f- I, I, I started to write the course work of that would eventually become this book. Um, and uh, a lot of that work is how to work with family story. Because a lot of therapy work really is about dealing with family story intergenerational trauma and 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 the stories that we are handed and deal with for, for most of our lives right and then the pandemic hit and what happened death was everywhere right death Lately. was surrounding us and we were all locked in so in canada here um the government was very good with supporting those of us who needed it i lost most of my clients and so i had a lot of time and not much to do. So I actually had a, a, a friend, uh, Tiffany Lazic, who is also a fellow Llewellyn author. And I sat down with her and I said, well, you know, I have this thing and I want to know what's the process to get this published because I have the time to write this. I think that this would make a really good dent and I think it's needed. And so she sat down and she guided me through the process of how to submit a proposal and this and all the other. 
And so I wrote it out first. And in August of 2021, I submitted it to Llewellyn. And two years later, here we are. <laughs> well, two All and right. Years. Yeah. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Define um, ancestral veneration mm -hmm. for us. What, is it, what does it mean for you? Absolutely. So one of the big distinctions I make in the book is that ancestor veneration is different from ancestral mourning. So right. I think how I write the book, I really look at, at how the rest of the world works with ancestors. Mm -hmm. I use a lot of examples from Asia, Africa, South America, and I look at um, at, at how the rest of the world is, is, is working with ancestors. And that is with a, a, a baseline understanding that they are here and now. Mourning is we are relegating the ancestors, the dead, to the uh, afterlife that's inaccessible or to the past. So when we say, you know, when we get into our circles and we hold hands and we say, we're going to honor the ancestors now, and you take your minute to honor the ancestors. And then, it, okay, let's walk into deity work, right? Um, it's, it's often to remember the ancestors. But in ancestral veneration, it's not about remembering the ancestors in a way of they're in the past. It's about, oh, yeah, remembering the ancestors is over here now with us now. So it's that relationship building of building that relationship now, seeing them as being still present in the world now, and um, and seeing ourselves connected to them, not as some vague sort of they used to be alive, now they're not, but seeing ourselves as we're about to die too. We don't know when, but it's it's going to happen. We're all going to die. And so how are we spending our time here on earth preparing ourselves to join those ancestors? Now, that being said, I also explore different types of ancestors in the book. And so half of it is to also expand what are we actually using that word for? So there's, a, there's also so many pieces. <laughs> I do want you to expand on that because I, like many other people, think of ancestors only as blood ancestors or you know, the ones I remember or my grandmother's grandmother. And tell us, you do such a good job in your book um, talking about different types, like even fictional characters. So yeah. tell us, explore all different kinds of ancestors because I think that yeah. will, again, and, and I know some people, their first thought may be, well, I'm not interested in that because I'm adopted. I don't even know who my ancestors are. So talk to us about all the different types because that really opened a door of thought for me. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, I think we have to see spirituality. I've, oh, and I think you're you're um, I think you're you're frozen, but I'll keep talking anyways. It's one of those things in in Western culture where we don't fully realize. I don't think we fully realize um, how Christian our point of view is, even in neo-paganism. We don't necessarily see how Western we are even while trying to work with pre-Christian or, 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 or ancient pagan traditions, right? And so when you look at those traditions, like even how we think of or conceptualize the ancestors is entirely about culture, right? We see them privilege, we privilege lineage and mostly blood lineage as being more important. And so that generates then the question of, well, if I'm adopted and these aren't my biological ancestors, then who are they? When you look at most cultures around the world, that's a mute question, 
right? It's it's a moot point. It doesn't matter. You go to certain countries in the Caribbean, for example, and you ask how you know who how many aunties and uncles somebody has. Half the parish will be connected to them because the definition of family is different in many of those cultures, right? So when it comes to looking at ancestors, then I tend to look at it as any body or thing that has directly impacted to who I am. So in that case, then, yes, I have a relationship to my blood ancestors because my parents gave me DNA that happened to, you know, be the blueprints of my physical body, right? I came out of my mother, right? But um, when I look at, you know, say, for example, fictional characters who I talk about, conceptual characters, right? Who I am now socially and mentally and, and intellectually is is very much determined by who I was, you know, reading and 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 taking in and being exposed to when I was younger, right? And so those individuals, those characters, are ancestral to who I am now. Even so, as going uh, so far as to say, we're our own ancestors, right? Who I was a year ago led to who I am now. So that person a year ago is ancestral to who I am now. Now, that being said, when it comes to ancestral veneration practice around the world, they don't necessarily take it that far. But that's the kind of mindset worldview that we can sit in and then for ourselves determine, okay, how are we classifying all of these beings, figures, characters, individuals that we're connecting with? You know, in some cultures, deities, the, the, the line between a deity and an ancestor doesn't exist because the deities are the ancestors. You look at a lot of Australian Aboriginal, a lot of like very ancient traditions. Um, the, 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 the spirits, the spirits literally are the ancestors. And so there's a, a, a direct line there, right? In some cultures, the spirits are archetypal characters who are sentient and they come in to teach the community about the world around them. They're seen as ancestral characters. Um, and so I think that, you know, when we start to kind of explore it less from a, just a biological sense and more from a impact sense, we can start to determine for ourselves, well, okay, I'm going to work with this particular type of relationship as an ancestor, but that's very different, say, working with a deity, right? Different relationships. Um, and, and really it's all about just our way of classifying all of our relationships with everything around us you know if that makes sense <laughs> funny because i think in the western world i think that we have a tendency to put deity and ancestors and all in different um labels in different sections and i know um because i thought about that like if i were adopted or i didn't know my ancestors but from your book um something that i haven't explored there may be um elders in our own pagan tradition that are open to helping us mm -hmm. um, that have have since passed over that is not so, a concept that I had really had worked with very much. Right, right. And this is the thing. I think that a lot of traditions are quite new, relatively in the grand scheme of human history, right? You know, even Wicca, uh, Gardnerian mm -hmm. Alexandrian Wicca, right? It's only 70-ish years old, maybe a little Right, at the most, yeah. Right? Like as an official lineage tradition. Right. And so I think this is an emerging thing, but I don't think that it's necessarily a, um, I don't think it's a foreign thing. I don't think it's an, an alien concept for uh -huh. us. I think we're just 
we need to see it in such a way. And if you go to a Buddhist, right, you go to a Buddhist monk and ask them, you know, can you recite your lineage? That lineage goes right back to the Buddha to 2,500 years. It's an important wow. part of, of, of being able to be seen as authentic and lineaged and have gravitas in that tradition to be able to do that. Now, does that necessarily mean all of the individuals in that lineage were real? But it's still gravitas in the culture, right? So it's one of those things. I think it's um, you know, we 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 start to bend the kind of the Western paradigm of what's real and what's unreal when we start to look at that. Um, I know in in Lakumi and a lot of African traditions, uh, I, I'm really connected with a lot of the practitioners from those traditions, mm. and I'm in, embedded in that community. And emerging out of that really is the understanding that lineage is important, community um, connections are important. You know, a matriarch of a community, in the same way, for example, Scottish clans, not everybody of that community is biologically connected to each other, but they're socially connected to each other, they're spiritually connected to each other, right? They're emotionally connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that thinking of things in that way, we can expand those relationships. We really limit ourselves based on what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And I think that that is um, that's something that a lot of cultures around the world do um, because that's the basis of culture. Culture is all about rules and mm -hmm. figuring out ways of interacting and whatnot. But I think that in the Western world particularly, we have this issue of individualism which mm -hmm. is really hyper-focusing on the individual as opposed to the community. And this mm -hmm. is why we have issues and these questions of, well, I'm adopted, so who are my people, right? Who am I, mm -hmm. right? Well, you're who you've always been, right? Right, right. Um, and, and and if you keep going back generations, eventually we're all related. <laughs> well, that's a very powerful point. Because if Absolutely. That, that's a historical truth. You go back, I think it's only 200 years. And the number of ancestors that you have is 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 massive, but the number um, there's this wonderful concept um, which is gen um, genealogical breakdown. The more you go, your individual family story will eventually merge with the entire community because right. your individual ancestors will appear multiple times in that in that community. So eventually, right. it does become a big web, right? And that doesn't right. it doesn't take that long. Like it's not like a hundred thousand years to get back to mitochondrial Eve. It's right. only within the past 200, 300 years. And I think it's so funny that in 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 um in America and the Western culture we struggle with that because our country was built immigrant. <laughs> we all came over here, so it's kind of unless you're Native American, we're basically all from somewhere different. So mm -hmm. if you go back far enough, so it's kind of a interesting uh, your book also made me think of um because you talk about when you think about ancestors and not just blood ancestors but you think of an s um ancestral spoke person for example i thought like i've heard a lot of people especially we talked about earlier that uh, a lot of wiccans or a lot of pagans tend to focus on ancestors especially around Samhain mm -hmm. and about this time of year but i've heard people say i don't work with my ancestors because they were christian yeah. And I think it would offend them because I'm pagan. What What are your thoughts about that? I have a lot of thoughts, and I don't think the listeners are necessarily going to be liking them because they're not kind. So I don't know if I should say them or not. But I honestly think that that speaks more to religious trauma than it does 
for any any legitimate reason probably the would reality agree. very much so the reality is and i think this is why the pagan community has such an issue with ancestors because they don't mm-hmm. know what to do with them so right. then you get really disgraceful dismissive things like oh we're going to honor our ancestors for a minute and then move on to a more interesting deity right, right? like right. i've seen some appalling rituals when it comes to the ancestors and that's in part why I wrote the book, right? I feel like people have a genuine interest in it because that explains why so many, like so many Wiccans and Pagans and and, and heathens and all the people in our community are really connected with family history work and they love it. Like if you were to do a general census, I think most people would say, oh yeah, I've really thought about my, my family story, but I don't know what to do. Right. I don't know how to connect with these 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 okay. individuals. And so what do they do? Some people will focus then on, you know, a very small, maybe mythological group of ancestors that were Mm -hmm. pagan 2,000 years ago. Now, you've got millions of ancestors in between you and those maybe, you know, maybe real people, right? And when you get back that far, the chances are is you have ancestors across entire continents, not just in one area. So I feel like for some people, the question of, you know, I don't know what to do with my ancestors because they were Christian, that comes down to then worldview, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you are looking at them as being stuck in the past, Mm -hmm. then they will always be Christian, right? Mm -hmm. In which case then, you know, what, what, what are we all doing with ourselves? But if we see death as being much more expansive, my experience with my ancestors, my closest ancestors, is they don't quite understand a lot of the things in my life. Mm-hmm. But that's because they lived 100 years ago and they don't understand right. what it's right. <laughs> right. You know? So I feel like, like, I feel like, I mean, that's a part of the journey for everybody. But I would say, and my, I, would, I would strongly suggest to people listening here is if your excuse of not working with the ancestors is that you don't know what to do with them because they're christian take a check in and see for yourself actually is it that because they're christian you're uncomfortable there's me right right exactly you know that is so interesting you also write in your book that i wanted you to explain and explore the concept of the land the sea and the sky as ancestors talk to us about that because i had not explored that concept before Absolutely. So that that ties really into what what I was saying about kind of expanding even the idea of relationship, mm-hmm. right? So you know we we're, we're very focused on family and and privileging that biological connection. So if we look at that kind of biological connection, but in terms of just the atoms that make up our bodies, you know the the earth is literally what nourishes our bodies. Every seven years, our bodies go through renewal process, and most of the uh, of the cells have renewed. Now they are built from the food that we're taking in. So when we look at the idea of, say, homelands, for example, right, that idea of of the the food that is grown in the earth nourishing our bodies that eventually we're going to go back into, right? Unless you're like Gene Roddenberry and you get flown into space, you know, that would be nice to go, right? but that the idea of like recognizing kind of from an animistic point of view, the land, the sea, the sky as a literal place of origin. So the sea, literally our most ancient ancestors, our biological ancestors came up out of the sea. They evolved in the sea, right? Mm-hmm. 
if you take that a little bit further back, right, our planet was formed in the cosmos. All of the water mm -hmm. that exists on our world came from the stars through, you know, giant meteorites, right? And so the sky and, and, the, and the cosmos created our world that eventually we evolved on. So when we start to work with these, these spaces, uh, not through personifications as deities, but as the literal just spaces and see ourselves as children of those spaces, then what can that what can that relationship be like? Right? If we come back to that idea of land, you know, you brought up the the concept of, of the idea that, you know, a lot of um, North Americans, unless you're of indigenous background, come from somewhere else. And that's very true. Absolutely. Right. And so, I mean, again, I don't I I feel like I'm not kind half the time when I talk about these issues, but I think it's important that I'm not kind, right? Huh? I have noticed as a British person living in North America most of my life, I've noticed and um, sometimes very unhealthy obsession with the homelands, right? The idea of like our homelands in Europe, right? Right. Um, because there's that 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 idea that you can't have relationship here. I read um one of the most pivotal books I've read is um Reading Sweetgrass by Dr. Robin Walkimer, beautiful book. Um, Dr. Robin uh, Walkimer is a botanist. She's also part of the Potawatomi Nation, um, and she's in upstate New York. She's originally from Oklahoma area. And she talks about indigenization. So that's very different from becoming indigenous because people can't become indigenous to a place. Right. They are, right. You can't. But you can become indigenized, which is a relationship to the place that you're on now. Because I feel like as people are pining for a relationship with Scotland, Wales, Britain, mm -hmm. Europe, right, Italy, wherever, right, um, and they don't live on that place, then what mm -hmm. can often happen is your relationship to the space that you're on can atrophy. In which case, then, are you necessarily going to be taking care of that space in the same way as, you know, if you go over to another homeland somewhere else? So the idea of even looking at your local landscape, the place you were born mm -hmm. as being a, a, a cradle, as a space, as a place, as as a, I can't even, I don't even know what you, other language to use, as a, a um, as a place that you come from. Mm -hmm. And so then what is your relationship to that? as an ancestor, right? It raises some interesting questions. It makes you, it makes you think. Mm -hmm. So um, but something else that you do very well in your book that I think the reader, our listeners will like is at the end of your chapters, um, um, your book really encourages you to journal mm -hmm. and think about things and you give journaling prompts which i'm going to go back through your book again and kind of do that and do journals i'm a big journaler and, and i have a philosophy journal and i like to uh, read books and then write thoughts and then go back i usually read books twice and then go back through and read it and see what changed and i'm going to do your um your journal prompts so what ha what caused you to come up with that idea it's very clever i as i was writing this now i'll be honest with you llewellyn is one of those publishers, all of the major pagan public, well, all of the pagan publishers, they have certain ways that they want their books put out there, right? And you can really quickly determine kind of what they're looking right. for just by looking at their catalog. Llewellyn is looking for books that are hands-on that you can open up and do something with. Now, as I was writing this, something that was very intentionally done 
and it caused an issue because it's one of the biggest criticism of the book is that I don't give people traditions to follow. I don't give people rituals to follow. Main... Step by step rituals, right? Right, and 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 to, to be fair, Llewellyn was very Llewellyn was okay with that, right? Because they understood what my intention was. The problem with ancestral work when you're dealing with a community that is trying to rebuild and create rituals, right? Is that a lot of people will gravitate towards books and take up the stuff from books verbatim because it's oh well this is the ritual I need I need to do this ritual. Now well, the whole think I'll just memorize and do this right. Exactly because I mean let's be fair other aspects of these traditions and 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 these and these um these emerging uh, uh spiritual traditions are those ritual focus like you know learning how to properly call in right. the quarters and all, right, right. It's, it's it's important what my book is really about is relationship and i i think i i say like that word relationship like 250 times in the book right um and so if i give you a ritual to do if i give you something to do even if it's just setting up like an altar space in a particular style and way I've cheated you out of the ability to create that yourself, right. Right? right? Now, for me, as like both a therapist and also a spiritual practitioner, um, I would be appalled if I were to do that. Because again, the process is you building this for yourself. And again, one of the criticisms of the book, and I think it's founded, I think it's fair, is that there's nothing to start out with. But uh, another big piece of this book is the idea of getting people away from the idea of cultural appropriation. We don't have these types of traditions in Western culture. We did have, but because a lot of those traditions are connected in with, say, you know, Catholic Day of the Dead and, and Catholicism, mm -hmm. people in the pagan community are not sure what to do, right? Right. And so what are they doing? They're looking at other traditions like voodoo, like... Mexican tradition, like Day of the Dead down in Mexico, like Chinese tradition, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of times people are very, I don't want to say they do it, but I, I mean, I've seen enough of it through other channels. People are copying verbatim because they think that's the way to do it. But what happens when you do that, especially with the ancestors and especially blood relatives, is that by copying somebody else's or taking up somebody else's traditional way of working with their ancestors and their dead is that you're first of all not connecting to your own ancestors who don't mm -hmm. have any f understanding of what you're doing um mm -hmm. you're also uh, kind of jumping into a cultural tradition where the ancestors of that cultural tradition did that ritual when they were alive and it becomes then a conversation piece between those ancestors and their descendants now if you were to do it it'd be like what are you doing? I mean, your ancestors won't understand who you are, like what you're right. doing. Right. And the ancestors of that tradition that you're tapping into won't know who you are because you're not related to them, right? Right. So this is this idea of building that for yourself, finding meaningful ways of connecting. You know, your great-great-grandmother might not necessarily understand your paganism, but she'll understand that you're trying to connect with her by setting up a little space that you honor her by putting her favorite food, right? Mm -hmm. You know, meaningful pieces like that. So I, 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 the whole book really is, the, the first part is all about worldview, testing your worldview. Right. The second part is about then taking you through each of these 
um, living traditional, uh, like parts of tradition, such as right. you know, setting up a sacred space, right? Pilgrimage. What does like? What is the meaning that you're trying to create? Because to me, ritual, all ritual, is about communication, right? right? Communicating with spirit, you're communicating with self, you're communicating with others, right? So the journal prompts to bring it all back to that is is really there to get people to think and engage. With Absolutely. Them. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny, I will disagree with your criticism of your book. <laughs> I think there are, um, and not just the will and a lot of publishers, I think in any, any topic, there's a lot of 101 books, but a big um, complaint, not the right word, a critique that I've heard from a lot of fellow practitioners is there's, there's not that next level book. Mm. There's a lot of books on how to cast a circle. There's a, not a, a, a lot of books that make you think and go, and I think your book falls into that. Thank it you. falls into something that makes you think. And again, um, I think sometimes, um, like I've heard people say that um, working with ancestors, maybe that belongs to um, Celtic or you talked about Day of the Dead or Mexican or certain traditions. Mm. And maybe it doesn't um, it doesn't work with the way I do magic. But after reading your book, I would disagree. So uh, I think that's a, a, a great point that your book makes. Well, and you raise a great point there, right? Ancestral veneration isn't magic. And this right. is where I really disagree with a lot of practitioners out there. And I think this is where it comes starts to come down to that question of, well, what do you do with the ancestors? Mm -hmm. well, you don't do anything with the ancestors. They're mm -hmm. just there, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like walking in. It, it, magic is about gaining something, usually, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's about practicing to gain. Right. Magic is different from, from religion in that aspect. Religion has magic in it. But I think that people often conflate these two in these traditions. And I think that's a mistake mm -hmm. because magic is about willfully creating change for yourself. Right. Right. For a will, right. With ancestor veneration, it's about relationship. So I see a lot of witches out there who are saying, you know, there's a whole stream of like ancestral magic and this and that and all the other. And, uh, and the image I always get in my head is walking into, you know, great grandma's house sitting down and demanding that she does something something for you and Absolutely. then being whipped over the head right you know this is where that relationship piece comes in in most traditions around the world you have ancestral intercession and that's a very common thing you know the belief that the ancestors have a direct hand in affecting right. the but that takes relationship. You go to China, right? The reason that the, you know, the, the young kids are often putting uh, joysticks at the ancestral altar regularly is because there's a reciprocal relationship there, right? During the Moon Festival or the Day of the Dead Festival, Ghost Festival, you have people burning paper effigies of like mm -hmm. cars and, 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 and money especially, right? With the belief that that's going to go directly to the ancestors and the ancestors are then going to support the living in that way. Right. But this whole idea of this Western idea of magic of all well, the ancestors, what are you going to do for me? That is completely disrespectful. Right. So I think if the two are incompatible, in my in my opinion, anyways. Now, that's being said, there is such a thing as necromancy, which is magic. But necromancy is working with the, the realm of the dead, not necessarily just the ancestors. There is a wonderful book that I, I highly recommend. Um, Mortalis's The Bones Fall in Spiral. 
Really, really love that book. That has a lot of stuff that you can do. Talks about relationship. There's also quite a few books on the market now around necromancy, particularly, and that that idea of that falling into magic. But then that starts to get into spirit work, right? Yeah. Brings up another point that I wanted our listeners to hear. Um, in the back of your book, you do a fabulous job of doing resources for further reading that breaks down each one of your main points and kind of gives a bibliography and references that you used in order that they can do. That's that is very generous. That was a really great idea. Well, it's it's absolutely necessary these days. I would never think to put a book out that has no bibliography, um, and uh, and um, and the references is. You know, I, I look at it and, you know, a lot of people will say this, a lot of um, of, of other authors will say this, that a lot of times their books are kind of snapshots of who they were two years ago. And, um, and when I was kind of going through this process, I was thinking to myself, well, this is the book that I would have wanted five years ago as somebody who was involved in a religion and a tradition, Lukumi, um, where the, the ritual was beautiful, working with the ancestors was beautiful, but the, the ritual process was very much geared towards the ancestors of that tradition. My ancestors, yeah. kind of in the room, they were polite. They weren't quite sure what to do, but they were being polite, right? So this was like a lot of the pieces in that reference is, and, and those further resources um, were what I would have needed a few years ago. Now, that being said, since the pandemic, all sorts of book, new books have come out on the market. So I'm like, oh, I wish I could put that one in there. But, you know, it's one of those... <laughs> So tell me if um, if this is something that has not been part of my my practice, uh, my spirituality, and I would like to get started, uh, first step, buy your book. But after I buy your book and read it, what, how do, that's a question I hear a lot when I teach classes or I hear people is they get excited. And I feel like um, a lot of pagans are in their head that they may read a hundred books on candle magic, but like never really touch a candle. So um, how would you say they get started in trying to figure out ancestors who, who, what's the first step they should do? Well, that's the reason for the book, really. That's the thing, mm -hmm. you know, to walk, to walk them through. Yeah. There's a lot of like, really, again, like I said, the book is really designed for people who are coming to this men's, this mindset mm -hmm. without anything. Um, mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people, as and you hit it on the head, right? This idea that it's a consumption culture. And I would say that's one of my biggest criticisms of the vegan community is that we are so ironically focused on books while it's trying to, you know, dissociate from book religions like Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um and, and really, it's about doing. You know, you have everything at your disposal. If you are still connected with your family, learn about your family's stories. Get onto Ancestry.com, right? But even if you don't necessarily have a strong relationship with your biological ancestors, consider the ancestors of place. Consider the ancestors of, 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 of who you are, right? Who are your teachers along your path? Who have been really important? Who are their teachers? Right. I think a lot of people will have heroes in their life that they've right. always looked up to. This is where the fictional characters come in. Right. I have certain characters who have been with me for most of my life and we have a relationship. It's a one way relationship, you know, but it's still a relationship. And so consider an energetic that, relationship. I think that people yeah. forget about thought forms and realize 
energy is real. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it, again, it's like that. That you know, we we we're as human beings, we're very good at um, compartmentalizing reality. Mm-hmm. I think reality is a lot more multidimensional than we like to think of it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like for example, I'll I'll I'll, I'll say this. So. Um, you know, I know the people listening to this can't see me physically, but um, I am a, you know, British Canadian guy. I've got, you know, uh, black wire rim glasses. I have scar on my forehead. I've got a British accent and I practice magic. Now, who does that? Harry imagine? Potter. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. So it's one of those things people have often said, like, I do look like a heavier set Daniel Radcliffe. Um, when I came over to Canada, like I'm 37, Harry Potter was just coming out at around the same time, right? So I I really gravitated towards him, right? I wasn't locked up in a cupboard, don't get me wrong, but I felt like I was locked up in a cupboard a lot of the time, mm-hmm. right? And when I started to explore paganism and, and magic and reconnecting with my British roots through those things, through folklore, mm-hmm. you know, I, I related to him. And so throughout my life, and mainly because half time, sometimes I'm being bullied by it, right? You know, I, me and Harry have been kind of wandering about. So it's, it's, but that relationship is really important. And so mm-hmm. for me, he is an ancestor of, of who mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. So, so I would say, you know, to get started, think about your relationships. Think about the, the beings and the spirits and the figures that you already have in your life. Think about the family stories. And this is the other thing, too. Anybody who's been in therapy will know this. You know, your ancestral connection is in the very way that you act. Because when we're born into a family, whether you're adopted or you're, you know, you're, you're biologically connected to them, um, you are still initiated into the, and socialized into the culture of that family. And so how Cultural we... norms, yeah. All those norms, exactly. Mm-hmm. So how we act in society, how we act just generally, comes partly from that space and so thinking about what are the things that are still inside of us that have been inherited right so yeah it's a difficult question so i'll say just buy the book but there's other so many other pieces too (laughs) yeah it's funny you say that though because i think about you talked about harry potter i'm a big harry potter fan but you're right a lot of people who are around your age um spiritually Mm-hmm. connected to harry potter and to be honest not just not just pagans i mean a lot of different faiths um really connected with that story and and that but it's interesting i always find it interesting that um for example i may be really drawn to a certain culture maybe i'm really drawn i had, I had a friend who was so drawn to ancient egypt and really studied that yet i have another friend who just loves the civil war i just find it interesting that we are people are drawn to such different things mm-hmm. really strongly and it and your book has made me think is there ancestral you know is there some type of connection mm-hmm. that you know an energetic cord that that we don't know that makes me you know so interested in asian cultures but yet my girlfriend's so interested in ancient egypt and i'm not really does that make sense it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. This is where we start to get timey-wimey, though. This is where uh, we start to go Doctor Who with this, is that when you start to bring in that idea of even karmic connection, right, karmic mm-hmm. relationship, um, it you start to then start to think about, okay, well, what is the nature of self? And that's, mm-hmm. in fact, how I open the book, because mm-hmm. a lot of people think of ancestors as the dead, 
but they don't necessarily think about well, what who are the dead, right? And in order to answer what is dead, you have to answer what is life. And mm-hmm. we and and this is an interesting thing. I'm going to do another plug just because I love their book so much. I really highly recommend it. So I had Mortellus on my own podcast a couple of weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure when this is coming out, but um, the first week of January is when um, Mortellus's um, interview with with me came out, and mm-hmm. I knew that their book was coming around this out around the same time as mine. And I was really hoping that I was able to, you know, dive into it first, use it as a source. Mm-hmm. But alas, that didn't happen. When I actually got into it, we come from the exact same position. We start to explore idea of self and multiplicity of self. So this idea of like, you know, the Western world, we only have really three parts to ourselves. We have the soul, we have the mind, and we have the body, body. right? Mm -hmm. When we die, the body dies, but the mind goes with the soul into the afterlife, right? And I would say, I would argue that that often has come into neo-paganism, right? The whole idea of the summerlands really is a... a, um, an adaptation of the Judeo-Christian way of looking at the afterlife. Heaven, absolutely. Right. So, and it's nothing familiar to us. No, right. it's familiar. Exactly, it's familiar. Right. To it's us. just familiar. But when you look at we paganized heaven, <laughs> we paganized heaven exactly. But when we look at other cultures around the world, we start to look at then, like the ancient Norse had multiple parts of 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 self. And some of those parts of self migrated into future generations. So, like the idea of luck. Hemingya would often be passed down into the generations. And that's why you see so many Norse have children who, and Anglo-Saxons, the, the parts of the name went down with the children because part of that idea of the self went with that, mm-hmm. with those children. We look at ancient Egyptian, right? How many parts of the self did the ancient Egyptian body have? You needed to mummify the body you had to take out the heart all of the central right. organs right all of these things the bar was all over the place the car was in right. the corner right and all of those things made up the individual all of those things needed to survive in order for that individual to survive so this idea of karma and this idea of multiplicity of self a part of you may very well have been in ancient egypt a mm. part of you may very well have reincarnated in you know, I don't know, it was Mary Antoinette. It seems like everybody was Mary Antoinette at one point, right? Um, and I know I was, but it, it's That's one of those so things funny. of multiplicity of self, right? So there's this idea of like, you know, in reincarnation cultures like Hinduism and Buddhism, you know, they have ancestral worship. And this often frustrates Westerners because it's like, well, if you believe in reincarnation, then how can there be a whole bank of ancestors sitting around in an afterlife somewhere? And right. it's this idea that there is an aspect of that individual as an ancestor in Still there. Life, yeah. While another part goes on and so on and so on and so on. So it's a really, really interesting thing. So when I got into Mortellus's book, we were coming from the exact same position. And it was so exciting um, to see another pagan writer really in the deaf industry coming from it from that point of view. That's why I'm loving the book and I really see it as a, a, a good companion to mine, a mind to theirs. So but there's tons of really good stuff on the market right now. Plug your podcast. Tell us about your podcast. We love podcast here. <laughs> of course. So, well, so so this was really um, one of those things I started as a way of networking. So during the pandemic, I started with season one. I call it Essence Podcast. And I started with only like 12 episodes. I was inviting on friends, people from the pagan community up here, therapists, artists. And, um, and, and that was that. And uh, Morgan Daimler I had on, 
and I, I adore Morgan. Uh, Morgan's been on quite a few times. I had Mara Starling, who was also from Wales. And uh, around that time, uh, her book, Welsh Witchcraft, was coming out. So I had her on. We were like really, you know, reminiscing because Mara comes from about like 20 minutes from where I'm from over there in well, that's Wales. That's fun. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I, I was like, okay, well, that's it. And then a year later, I got into my book, writing my book. And um, this past year, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start this up again, mainly because I, I want to start putting myself out there. Um, I want to connect with other authors. I had some incredible endorsements um, uh, as part of the book, and that really came because of my networking. Um, and I was like, the more I met, the, the more fellow authors I've met, the more I just enjoyed just talking. Because, you know, if you go through this horribly traumatic experience of writing a book for two years, like having a baby it's like having a baby mm -hmm. and so it's nice to be I think many of authors tell me that so, yeah oh it's yeah. it's hell it's great but it's hell right mm -hmm. um the editing process and and over past it's like labor that's what i was told that's the yeah. <laughs> i was told writing a book was not the hard part is having someone else suggestions of changing your words were or is can be hard See, interestingly, I didn't. That wasn't the hardest piece for me because I I went. What was the hardest? The trust. I think the hardest for me was, um, actually, ironically, it was sourcing my information because as I was writing, I got into such a flow, and I was right. just bringing in. And and during that time period, I was also in in the process of going back to school too. So I I I, mm -hmm. I, I went back to finish my degree. Um, but I, 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 I stopped in 2010 and I actually just submitted uh, my final exam. I'm now finished. So that's a good thing. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So I've, I've been writing a lot over the past two years, but, um, but, but it was one of those, like the podcast allowed me to do that. And, and as I got into it, I noticed that I could bring in my therapy counseling skills. And so a lot of these conversations go deeper and a lot of our, uh, most of my guests have really appreciated that. I've had people like, well, I've had um, three of the four forelocks on. I've had Matt, Devin and, um, and, uh, and Storm, uh, Fairy Wolf mm -hmm. I've had on. Um, Morgan Nimler has been on again. Um, a load of British authors, uh, David Bard, who I know uh, is a good friend of, of Celine Fox. Absolutely. I have yeah. talked with him many a time. He got, you have to come to PSG too. He <laughs> comes to PSG. So it's just really, really fun. He is, and I think Chris is delightful. This year, isn't he? I have, yeah, yeah. yes, I have spoken and talked with him and he's also very, very delightful. So, yeah. uh, so yes, it's, uh, in fact, um, again, since I'm from here, I don't really notice the differences, but both of them like to talk about the difference between, um, paganism in america and paganism across the pond and how it's different and it's just it's just really really it's really fun so do you have a new book coming or have you thoughts of something else absolutely yes so i do have some um well I, i'm actually actively working on proposals for that right now um oh. a couple so going back to school i've been studying medieval classical and religious studies I'm really knee deep in folklore, and so my my next book is going to be on folklore of a of a particular variety, really zeroing in on a particular aspect of folklore. And uh, I, I I can't say anything yet because I don't have a contract with it yet, but I do have other ideas. I'm in talks with Llewellyn for something else as well. Um, so other things are coming. It's one of those things that you you get the bug and you just want to keep going, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's great. Well, and we benefit from that. So thank you very much. Your thank book you. is excellent. Um, I look 
forward to doing your next book. And thank you very much for coming and spending time with us. Thank you, Deborah. This is delightful. Thank you so much. And folks can go to your website, correct? Yes. And get all that information. Can they uh, listen to your podcast? Is that located on your website? Yes. Yeah, so everything's on my website. Um, they can also go to um, like Spotify, Amazon, Apple. It's also on YouTube. So the video version is on YouTube and uh, and the uh, and the other uh, is on all those we just started our fourth season um last season i had a lot of traditional witchcraft um folk on and uh, and so i've got about 50 episodes up right now so somebody if anybody wants right. to they can go around yeah absolutely all right well i know our listeners are going to love your newest book ancestral whispers a guide to building ancestral veneration practices and it's available at Llewellyn.com, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can get it lots of places. So can I also thank you make a plug much. here? Can I also make a Absolutely. plug? Here? I Absolutely. Really, I really, I, I love when people can get a book of mine from anywhere. I do highly recommend go to your local uh, independent bookstores. They can always put them in. Um, they're wonderful. You're uh, supporting local, and you can also get them from the Llewellyn website directly too. So absolutely, do please review. Um, it doesn't matter what book you're reading. Reviews always help us. So absolutely. In fact, you can go to your local bookstore, and if they don't have it, they can get it from Llewellyn.com and have it there. So, and that just helps spread it. Absolutely. I'm and I'm someone who, when I travel, if there is an occult bookstore or a Wiccan bookstore, I will buy something there. Um, even though I may be able to get it cheaper online because we really, really need to support our local businesses because we've lost a lot of them. And and as a tradition, I like for us to keep them. So, all right, good job. Well done. I'm excited. I can be excited about your new book now. <laughs> That's been, I want to thank Steve, our sound engineer for his technical expertise. And I'd like to thank all of you out there, our listeners, for your continued support of all of our shows here on Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, or CSNP. Come back for our next Circle Talk, which is on February 6th. I look forward to being with all of you all again. So please come back. Good night, everyone, and blessed be. Thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow nature-centered paths. Join us throughout the week for various programming connecting with the community around the world. Please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash CSN podcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. Until next time, many blessings.